as always. Well, summer is half done, and I'm about ready for the cooler weather, especially if it brings rain. Not that I'm complaining about the temperature this past week. It has been below normal, but less than three inches of rain in July and even less in June is not the way to grow grass on the farm. August is generally one of the driest months here, and I do not look forward to the hotter temps and drier than normal days ahead. The elderberry plants have done really well. Seems like just a week or two ago I was out picking the flower heads, stuffing them into gallon jars, and pouring hot simple syrup on top to fill, making elderflower syrup. The berries are ripening now, and I went out and picked a pot full, ending up with two gallon Ziploc bags of nice purple ripe berries. Popped those into the freezer to join the gallons of blackberries I've squirreled away. I'll turn them all into juice later in the fall. They're not going anywhere. May even have more berries to put in the freezer anyway. I've made wine in the past with the elderberries. It's a bit more tedious than making ale. When we were doing some organizing in the workshop this spring, I came across a case of wine from, what, eight, nine years ago? I didn't label it, but I knew it had been there a long time. I knew for certain I had not made wine since the Badger graduated high school, and that's been seven years now. I uncorked a bottle and was pleasantly surprised. It tasted like a batch of elderberry rhubarb wine that I'd made and was almost as sweet as a port. I'm going to make some more of that this fall, and it'll be ready in December. I have an Emmental-type cheese in the press. A four-gallon batch of milk, and the cheese will be about four pounds. Swiss-like, it should grow some small holes. The past few years I've been air drying the cheese and then putting them in vacuum bags for further aging and the result has not been good. This year I'm back to waxing the cheese after the surface feels dry and so far so good. The cheese wax is reusable too. You just wash off any cheese residue and butter fat, dry it well, and then pop it back in the crock pot that holds the wax. I'm really looking forward to trying the Havarti-type cheeses I've made, but I'm going to have to wait to the end of September before I can cut open those wheels. If it turns out well, hot damn. That's one of my favorite cheeses to make quiche with. The cheese in the press has about 45 minutes left to go before I can take it out and see if the curds have all compressed into a nice, smooth mass. I don't want to see cracks. The pH of the cheese needs to be between 5.4 and 5.3, and if it's not down to that yet, back into the cheese press it goes until it reaches the desired acidity. 
Checking the milk and the cheese pH is how I've upped my cheese-making game of late. One popular book doesn't list the pH goals, but another book I have does. The latter recipes have been making better cheeses, too, so pH checking it is. Kind of like the difference between a beginner and intermediate levels of cheese making. Well, we let the goats clean up the little wooded area behind the drive, and they did the best job ever. It took them no time at all to devour the brambles. Blind Hog even cut down a few small trees that were covered in grapevines. The goats were like a cloud of locusts, leaving nothing but stripped vines and twigs. They even ate the prickers off the wild raspberry bushes. A few days of that was enough, and so we've rolled up the electric net fence, and the goats are back where they need to be, up in the field, and no nearby treats. I can go into the cleared area now with a string trimmer, if I was so inclined, now that the undergrowth is cut down even more. Not that I'm getting paid for sponsorships or endorsement money, but let me tell you... That cobalt battery-operated string trimmer from Lowe's is just the best thing. Right there behind their self-propelled battery-operated lawnmower, which I also adore. The batteries last a goodly while, about as long as you do, and the machine has plenty of power. I'm happy not to be fussing with a carburetor, flooding engine, and the noise and exhaust from the old echo trimmer. The string trimmer also uses the battery that the lawnmower came with, which means that I can recharge a battery while using the spare. The mower battery has a ton more oomph and power and will go about an hour on high speed, whereas the trimmer's battery will last about 30 minutes on high when I'm really cutting down the heavy weeds. Generally, I can mow the garden with the trimmer on low speed on one battery. Fred and Ethel like the grass kept trim in the garden, and you know we have to keep the geese guardians happy. It was nice and cool yesterday. Blind Hog said he was going to go back down in the woods to cut a tree, but I told him I thought we should take the opportunity to hang that gutter off the screen porch. We bought all the materials not too long ago and had been waiting for an overcast, cool day to get to work. Well, that day had arrived. It wasn't that hard. We found out a couple tricks, too, that'll help us when we next hang gutters off the dairy barn eaves. That'll be 36 feet on each side up there. And with the longer sticks of guttering, it'll be a little more difficult. The gutters will make things so much nicer up there. No big mud pits under the eaves. Once the porch gutter was up, it was time for lunch. Sitting at the table on the porch, I looked over at the welded goat toad in the alley, and I started to make a plan. Blind Hog had made the tote to fit in the back of the pickup truck, but we also have a small utility trailer that we don't use much. It's only four by six feet. The goat tote cage is five feet wide by six feet long, and if I wanted to use the tote in the trailer, it would need to be cut down to size and re-welded. Well, Blind Hog and I went up there to look it over and took measurements to discuss our options. 
One, we could just get rid of the cage and transport the goats in the stock trailer. Or two, we could put the goats in the back of the pickup with the fiberglass topper on. Or we could use the cage and the small trailer and then pull the trailer with the Chevy Tracker, saving a ton of gasoline instead of driving a pickup. Blind Hog got the tractor and we chained the cage to the front end loader and carried it to the welding shop in the old rock barn. We got to work with bolt cutters and the cutting disc on the body grinder and soon it was in pieces. Blind Hog said, Boy, this side is sure bent. Did that just happen? No, that happened during the accident years ago when we took two goats to the processor. Several years ago, we decided to join an organization called Animal Welfare Approved, now called A Greener World. This group would come and audit your farm, check your records, and make sure you were raising livestock in the most humane method possible. Once approved, we got to advertise that our farm had been found worthy, and I think this actually helped with marketing. This was also back when we had the big idea to sell meat cuts from the farm freezer and we needed to take a couple weathers, you know, castrated goats, to the processor. The processor too is in the process of being inspected by this group as raising animals humanely did not stop at the farm gate and any meat we were going to sell had to be processed at a facility that the animal welfare folks had also inspected. Part of their processor inspection deal was to see two examples of each species the people process, actually going from start to finish. We were going to bring them the two goats to help them towards meeting their goal. The morning we were loading up, it was December and still dark. There was ground fog all around, and we loaded the goats into the tote and the back of the pickup. Since it was also misty raining, we tied a tarp on the cage to protect the occupants from the weather, trying to be nice to the livestock. The facility was 40 minutes away, and we headed up to the highway from the farm. The speed limit on the highway is 65 miles per hour and Blind Hog was driving. As soon as we got up to speed, we heard a thumping noise. I looked out the back window and the tote was gone. We pulled off the side, blinkers flashing, jumped out of the truck to see what had happened. It was obvious. We put the cage in the back of the pickup and didn't tie it to the four-corner tie-down holds in the bed of the truck. The tarp acted like a big kite, lifting the cage right out of the truck bed. The five-by-six-foot cage was in the middle of the highway, and like I said, it was foggy, dark, and misty rain was falling. Luckily, a couple guys drove up behind us, put their flashers on, helping to drag the tote out of the road. But tell me, Acorn, what about the goats? Good question. Both were still in the back of the pickup, but as soon as I walked up to them, I was only to grab one by the horns as they both went over the side of the truck. I used the bailing string I had in my pocket and hog-tied the one goat, 
and went running after the other, but he had bolted away from the road, going up into the trees. These were not tame pet pocket goats, and there was no way I was going to run the other goat down. The good Samaritans helped get the cage back into the truck. We tied it down proper and loaded up the remaining goat. It wasn't till we got to the processor explaining our story to him that the full horror of what happened hit me. What if somebody had run right up behind us and hit the cage? Or worse, the cage lifted up out of the truck and right onto their car? I was tearful, and the butcher and inspector both thought it was pretty funny. Well, in a way. The missing goat? Well, we went back out later that day, taking his mama with us. I found him sleeping under a cedar tree along the secondary road that runs parallel with the highway, and I tied his mama nearby. I thought she would be a calming influence on him, but when I got close to him, she called out, he woke up with a start, and just escaped me grasping for a back leg. We tried catching him for a couple more days, and finally we were met by a guy in a pickup truck who lived on that road. He had a few chicken houses there and said yes, he'd seen the goat, and I asked him, since we couldn't catch it, would he please, if he saw it again, take that twenty-two he had there in the truck with him and shoot the goat. It would be awful if it got in the highway and caused an accident, and the goat could be traced back to our farm because he had an ear tag with our farm's Department of Ag number. The guy understood totally and said he'd seen cattle get in the highway before and the terrible results thereof. Hello, listeners. I'm still here. Aiken has not worked me to death yet. And she says I will get to tell more stories on the podcast one day. In the meantime, do what you've been doing and tell your friends about us. If we get enough listeners, maybe Lowe's will give Akron a few cents for advertising that string trimmer and lawnmower from them that she likes so much. Who knows? We have to start somewhere. Don't forget to visit the website to check out pictures for this episode, www.blindhogandacorn.com. So, needless to say, whenever we used the goat toad again, we made damn sure it was tied down properly. In fact, we eventually just quit using it, opting for the stock trailer so we didn't have to lift the goats up into the bed of the pickup truck. This new arrangement, however, will be sweet as the utility trailer is low to the ground and no lifting of goats required. Plus, like I said, we won't have to use a pickup truck to tow it with. Well, Acorn, was that the worst thing that's ever happened to you while transporting livestock? I'm glad you asked. No, it wasn't. There was a time, one January, when we sold a bull, a big six-year-old in his prime, and the folks wanted him delivered and were willing to pay the extra money. Winter weather had occurred just a few days before, mostly freezing rain, 
and so we had to wait for the roads to clear. Plus, just because our road was clear didn't mean that theirs was, which it wasn't. And they had a tree fall down in their drive right in front of their pasture gate. Could you just walk the bull down the road and lead him into the corral? What the hell? He was snorting and bouncing around in the trailer, sniffing out those cows of theirs in heat. They were crazy. They told us we could just drive the truck and trailer behind the house, off the driveway and into their backyard and unload them back there near the gate. Well, the ground was icy, half frozen, and once off the driveway, the truck and trailer promptly sank to the axles. The ground was a mess. We realized we were not going to move anywhere, not with a thousand-pound bull in the trailer behind us. So one of them drove us back home so we could get chains for the tires and supplies to help unload the bull. We took step-in fence posts and spools of electric twine and made a pen around the truck and trailer over to the open pasture gate. Kuya the bull bounced out of the trailer, did a victory lap around the twine paddock, and then ran into the cows and got right to work. We put chains on the back wheels of the truck. My hands were wet, bare, and it was freezing, but the ground was just too mushy for traction. We would have to leave the truck and trailer in the backyard of these strangers overnight. Happily, the ground froze hard and we were able to drive back over, put another set of chains on the front wheels, and pulled the truck and trailer out of the yard. We left a mess, but, you know, they could fix that themselves. Never again would we deliver cattle to someone who was not set up. But did that stop us from delivering cattle in January? Nope. This past January, we had a buyer up near Kansas City, four hours away. They were buying three cows and some equipment, as well as some books I'd put up for sale. They had snow on the ground up there, and we didn't, but snow was not the problem. We had troubles before we even left the farm. The three cows were all adults and were not happy to be in the trailer, One was being super bossy, and we had to close her in the back by herself. The other two were shoved up in the space in the front half of the trailer. It was all head-tossing with horns. Once loaded, Blind Hog pulled the truck and trailer into the front drive and parked it so I could go in, get the thermos, our picnic lunch, and the paperwork for the cows. It wasn't five minutes later, and we heard a loud thump, but we didn't think much of it. The cows had been dancing around in the trailer, making a racket as soon as they were loaded. That was no surprise. We left the house, hands full of stuff, walked across the yard to the truck and trailer. There was no truck. There was no trailer. What the hell? The gate at the top of the drive was open, And through the gate, down the hill, off to the left, down the bank, was the back of the trailer, and the cows were really pissed now. One small tree had stopped the truck from going down another ten yards, which would have been disastrous. 
as the truck would have fallen six feet off the ledge and into the creek. The cows were all standing up, so we opened the back door of the trailer and they hopped out, going up the driveway and into the front yard. We quickly grabbed a trusty reel of electric fence twine and corralled them into a small area in the yard. Meanwhile, Blind Hog fetched the tractor and I unhitched the trailer from the pickup. The truck, with the emergency brakes still engaged, had been jerked out of gear by the jostling cows. They push, push, pushed it from the trailer and it popped out of gear, rolling down the slight grade of the drive where it went downhill. I figure it was the emergency brake catching the back left wheel that made the truck and trailer turn so sharply to the left. Kind of like using the right and left wheel brakes to turn a tractor. The stock trailer hitch was chained to the tractor's front end loader and Blind Hog was able to lift it off the pickup and swing it around, backing in and pulling it into the drive. With the trailer tires chalked, <laughs> we brought the 250 down and hooked it up, leaving the 350 where it was. The cows were run out of the yard, back up into the sweep tub and loading chute, and amazingly, they hopped right back in the trailer. The delay took us all of 90 minutes, and I don't think we could have done it any better. But I'm a true believer now in chalking trailer tires all the time, every time. True, I had to explain the story to the state farm agent a couple times. Yeah, the cows drove our truck and trailer off the drive and down a hill. The F-350 had enough damage to be totaled, and we begged our agent not to total it out. The left front quarter panel had been crushed, but the engine and radiator were still sound. The repair shop in the big city did a great job, and the F-350 shows no signs of its big adventure. Now we make doubly and triply sure that the new goat tote and trailer are totally road safe, all tied down and secure, before we take the goats to market in the upcoming weeks. Prices have been good this summer and dropped a bit last month. The prices will vary from place to place, and we have to take into consideration the commission fees, 7, 7.5, or 8%, as well as the distance from the farm. And of course, the place with the best prices is a little over two hours one way. The place with the highest fee is only 20 minutes away. And we'll end up going there as it's less stress on the goats and less time on the road for us. Well, Blind Hog is out in the back waiting for me. So I best wrap this up for the week. Until later, take care 